Welcome to Literary Anything, our Marion Libraries podcast where we talk about anything literary and literary anything. I'm Jane. I'm Paula. Take two. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Full disclosure, Jane and I already recorded this episode of the podcast and technical difficulties that resulted from having a humanities major in charge of sound for your podcast. (laughs) That'd be me. And a qualified librarian who also knows nothing. (laughs) But, you know, we've learnt from our experience yesterday. We're just going to have to try and remember the same hilarious jokes that we said yesterday, (laughs) today. And as anyone who's listened to the podcast knows, Jane and I try not to talk to each other about the book beforehand, but Mm. now there are no surprises. I know what's coming. (laughs) Jane knows I have all the feels about this book. (laughs) So we read Malibu Rising by Taylor Jenkins Reid. Taylor Jenkins Reid is the author of lots of novels, but most notably Daisy Jones and the Six and The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo. You probably know Daisy Jones is currently being adapted by Hello Sunshine, which is Reese Witherspoon's production company, into a limited series for Amazon. I didn't find out very much information about the author this time. It was very skint online about, you know, tidbits and things about the actual author, but I do know she lives in LA. That's it. Right. And I think she just had a child or her child, she has a young child. I think it says that at the back of the book. And I didn't mention this in our take one. (laughs) So see, this is going to be so much better this time. (laughs) (laughs) Is that there are some links between Daisy Jones, Seven Husbands and this. Right. They have recurring characters. That's right. So in this one, we've got Mick. Reva, who is one of the seven husbands in The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo. Shall I read the blurb? Yeah. (laughs) Malibu, August 1983. It's the day of Nina Reva's annual end of summer party and anticipation is at fever pitch. Everyone who's anyone wants an invite to catch a glimpse of the famous Reva siblings, Nina, the talented surfer and supermodel. Brothers Jay and Hud, one a championship surfer, the other an the other a renowned photographer, and their adored baby sister, Kit. Together, the siblings are a source of fascination in Malibu and the world over, especially as the children of the legendary singer, Mick Reaver. By midnight, the party will be completely out of control. By morning, the Reaver mansion will have gone up in flames. But ahead of that first spark in the early hours before dawn, the alcohol will flow, the music will play, and the loves and secrets that shaped this family will all come bubbling to the surface. So this novel starts with a prologue of sort about Malibu, the place, and its propensity to burn. So it's almost like a really brief history of the place and all the times it's caught fire, which is a lot. Mm-hmm. It mentions destruction, renewal, rising from the ashes, the story of fire. And I'm just going to read a, one little snippet where it's talking about this wild party that's the setting for this fire. And it says, The annual party grew wildly out of control sometime around midnight. By 7 a.m., the coastline of Malibu was engulfed in flames. Because just as it is in Malibu's nature to burn, so was it in one particular person's nature to set fire and walk away. I liked that little intro. I really liked it. Mm. I thought it was very kind of suspenseful and set the tone. So then it is set in two time periods, one being 1983 when the four Reva kids uh, who, as Jane just mentioned, are Nina, Jay, Hud and Kit, they're adults, and the 24-hour period leading up to and when they're having this big party. 
And then the other is in 1956 when a young woman or really a teenager because she's 17, June, meets Mick Riva. And it's their love story between Mick and June and how they met and married. And Mick is a talented singer and determined to make it big in the music industry. And he adores June, and he wants to give her this perfect life with marriage and children and a Malibu house with an ensuite bathroom that has two sinks. That's her dream. What June really doesn't want is to work in her parents' Malibu seafood restaurant, which they want Mick to take over from them. But Mick strikes a deal with her dad, and they agree to give him two years to make it in the music industry. And if he doesn't, then he'll take over the restaurant. And Mick easily says yes to that because he's so sure that he's going to make it big in the music industry. And then he does. He is huge, kind of like like a Frank Sinatra. Yeah, I got lots of Frank Sinatra vibes. This also means, though, that women keep throwing themselves at Mick and he just cannot be faithful to June and he keeps leaving her for other women and she ends up exactly where she doesn't want to be, working in her parents' restaurant. And one day, one of the women that Mick's been having an affair with shows up on June's doorstep and hands her a baby boy who is just a few months younger than June's baby, Jay, and says, here, you have him. This is Mick's son and I can't raise him by. And never to be seen again. That's right. And June immediately decides she will love this baby who's called Hud and raise him like her own, that this baby has nobody else in the world and she's going to be his world. So she does. And they they put a bit of a public front on about the two boys that, you know, they decide, Mick and June decide that they will tell people that they're twins. Right, even though they look nothing alike. Even though they're clearly not the same age and clearly people would know that they had a baby and now there's another one. (laughs) I guess it's that typical 50s public appearances type vibe and not discussing yeah you would never say it to someone's face right yeah so mick initially supports his children financially and he even comes back once and pledges to be the husband and father he says that he wants to be and he makes all these promises to june and the children But then he takes off again, and they never see him, and he doesn't even send any financial support. And June says that she doesn't want to give Mick the satisfaction of pursuing him for support, which I didn't really understand because Mm. he's super rich. They're his kids. He should be financially responsible for them, and it doesn't seem shameful at all. But I, I didn't know if it was like a generational thing or just a weird June thing. I don't know. Yeah. It was strange. It was weird. So when June's parents die, she ends up having to run the restaurant, but it's always in the red. And it's, it's really hand to mouth. Yeah. Existence. Yep. So while their mom is uh, struggling away at the restaurant, the four Riva kids hang out on the beach And one day they find this seemingly abandoned surfboard and all four quickly become obsessed with surfing. And then that Christmas, June manages to scrape the money together to get them all surfboards for Christmas. And I also thought this was weird because I also know that surfboards are super expensive. Maybe not in the 50s. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know either. But I feel like everything was expensive. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? No. So like on a single mother's oh, yeah. wage, but could barely, feed, could barely feed children, mm. but could, yeah, 
get them all surfboards for Christmas. Mm -hmm. Anyway, that's what happened. And in the 80s timeline, you know that they all managed to make careers generally out of their ability to surf. So Nina is a surfing model. Jay is a competitive level surfer. Hud is like a surfing photographer, mostly taking photographs of Jay. And Kit seems like she will soon rival Jay because she is also an extremely accomplished surfer. So in the older timeline, June is suffering from alcohol addiction and her eldest child, Nina, is having to take over a lot of the parenting. So like cooking, signing school forms, making sure the kids get to school, all that sort of stuff. And then one night when all four children are out at various engagements, June's by herself and then she ends up having a bath and drowning in the bath. So Nina steps up to take over guardianship of her siblings, which Mick would have gotten notification about, but they still don't hear anything from him. And so this book is split into two parts. And the first part ends in the 1980s timeline when Nina, who's married to a famous tennis star, Brandon, so between the marriage and the modeling, they're now very rich and famous, Brandon walks into the house and announces he's leaving her for someone else in a very short scene. Didn't you think that scene was Mm. like super weird how Mm. it was just like, hi, I'm leaving you. And she's like, what are you talking about? Mm. And then he grabs a few things and he walks out and she's alone and she's comparing herself to her mother. And so begins part two, which is from 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. on the night of the party that we keep hearing about. And this is when I said to Jane, I will not be able to hide how much I hated the second part of this book. And she was shocked. And now you are not shocked because I ranted all about it. Yeah. Yeah. It's probably good that yesterday's podcast didn't work because (laughs) Paula was quite scary yesterday. (laughs) Jane actually said, you're scaring me. Stop yelling. (laughs) But maybe it's the universe just, you know. Putting its finger in and saying, hold up. (laughs) Don't frighten the people. Well, basically the second part of this book is about the shenanigans of this annual party that the Rivas, or more specifically Nina, throws every year. And it's the who's who of famous people that show. And it's, it's, you don't get invited as such. They keep referring to the fact that if you know the address. Then you're invited. Then you're invited. So the party ends up having... A-list stars, but also, you know, the cashier at the restaurant or random people from Malibu, just general people. So it's a real mix of people. And I said, I don't know why I have so much anger about this. I was just ranting to anybody who would Mm. listen to me about about how much I hated it. And I felt like yesterday I needed the podcast to purge all my feelings about it. And now I have, so maybe I'm a little bit more chill. (laughs) But I'm going to read an excerpt from the book that encapsulates some of the things that infuriated me. Ted handed Vicky his drink and started climbing onto the mantle. He pointed at a surfer by the coffee table. Hey man, pass me the chandelier, would you? The guy, content to play along, stood on top of the coffee table and grabbed the base of the chandelier, slowly moving it toward Ted. Ted grabbed a handful of the crystals on the bottom. Vicky, let me take you to dinner, he said, and then he swung himself across the room, hanging on for dear life. He hit the opposite wall and then let go, crashing onto the sofa with the howl of an injured animal. Vicky found herself running to him. Are you okay? She said. Come on, get up. She put her arms around Ted to help him. The warmth of her hands made him feel, for one half second, no longer alone. Instead of standing up with her, he pulled her down to him. 
Can I kiss you? He said, and when she smiled, he did it. She felt his soft lips on hers, and she did not balk. A thrill ran through her like a bolt. (laughs) So, yeah. (laughs) So, we're in a lot of people's heads. Yes. You know, this is my pet hate, and I keep telling myself I'm going to stop talking about it, about the head hopping being a problem, because clearly I'm in the minority of Mm. feeling like this is an issue, including editors of big publishing houses like Random House, who published this book. But yes, we're in Ted's head, then we're in Vicky's, then we're mm. back to Ted's, then we're back to Vicky. Yeah. So this book is told in third person omniscient, which means that the narrator knows all about everybody. So they know the thoughts and feelings of all the characters. Now you say it's told in third person omniscient, but uh, is that what she's well, doing? that's what I've... In all the reviews, because lots of people feel the same way that you do, that do I've they? said. but So they're all referring to it being written like this. I, Maybe it's just not well done. It's not well done. I think yeah. that's what it is. Yeah. And I, I said to Jane that Anna Karenina mm. is an example of something. And I something. said, what did I say? Did Have you read Anna Karenina? And I said no. <laughs> but I mentioned it because every time this happens to me, I have to... Google third-person omniscient narrator so I can read what it's supposed to sound like because I know this is not it. And the difference is that the third-person omniscient narrator is supposed to have significant sort of space Mm. away from... Some distance. Yeah. Yeah. So it doesn't seem like you're in different people's heads, which is what this is. And the whole part two of this book... It's divided up into into hourly blocks. So it's you know seven p.m., eight p.m., one a.m., two p.m., two a.m., etc. Yeah. And within each section or chapter, you're hopping. You are. You're hopping two paragraphs at a time into somebody else's head. Some people really liked that. They, they got these little ca- characters jumping it, I in. I guess it maybe it added to the feeling of chaos at that party. Maybe that was the aim to have a feeling of mayhem and chaos at this party which is the whole point is it that it got out of hand yeah and I think you're right and I think some people did feel that and enjoy that and think oh I've never been at a party like this but to me it just felt yes like you've just Mm. met Ted and Vicky who are they this is on on page 309 of a 363 page book suddenly you're hearing about these characters you've never heard of before and how they're swinging from chandeliers and you're just like why why do I need to know about these people I wanted in part two I just wanted to get on with the broader plot that's what I felt like I was trying almost rushing through all these different characters because like when's it going to get back to Nina and what else is going on that's right and why do we care about these Mm. people that we've never heard of before also Ted is trying to impress Vicky so he decides to swing on a chandelier while asking her out that just seemed so, so, so lame. unbelievable. <laughs> like, who would do that? <laughs> yeah, and the other thing that in the second part in particular, well, actually through the whole book, there was lots of, she was the most beautiful woman in the world. Oh, superlatives. Was, yeah, yeah, the most famous actor of of her generation or the best surfer, the this, the that. the. It was just too over the top. Too much of that. So in the second part at the party, Mick Reaver appears after being invited by Kit and what else happens in that section there's a fight between Jay Jay and and Hud because Hud is sleeping with Jay's ex-girlfriend Ashley how do you how did you feel about that there were so many little side plots 
in this book that I didn't really feel a lot of anything for any of them. I just felt like it was not reasonable that Jay was so upset with HUD for dating Ashley when he didn't seem to care about Ashley. So what is the problem? I know. I was trying to imagine. He was saying he was in love with someone else. That's right. Yeah. He was supposed to be in love with Laura. So why should he care Mm. if HUD was sleeping with Ashley? Yeah. I mean, we both have sisters. What if your sister decided to date one of your exes? (laughs) (laughs) I think I wouldn't be jealous. I'd just be like, don't do that because he's not a good... Yeah, I was like, really? (laughs) If you don't want. What else happened in part two that was important? There there were those two elements. There's a million little things. Brandon reappears to profess his love for Nina and take me back in this big grand speech to the whole party. And Nina's just like, okay, I guess. Really She's a people pleaser and she's, you know, only ever doing anything for anyone else. And then his mistress shows up at the party and Mm -hmm. makes a big scene and embarrasses really herself and everyone. Oh, and then then appears Casey, the long-lost potential daughter, fifth child of Mick Reaver. That was another one where I'm like, why? Why? We've got these four siblings. I loved Mm. the addition of HUD. At yes, the beginning. Yes, that and was that, lovely. Yeah. And then at the 11th hour, they've got this random girl walk in saying, I think I might be Mick's daughter. And they're like, okay, well, you're one of us now. Yeah. Even, even mixed, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Not she, sure. <laughs> she hands him a photo of her mother and he's just <laughs> slept with so many people. He's just like, yeah, could be. Maybe. One of the unbelievable things that was just infuriating me is that this party is raging out of control Mm. so a couple of these late introduced random characters one of whom is supposed to be nina's best friend but we've never heard of her before decide they're going to break up the party and the way they decide to do this is by getting the bartenders and waitresses to stop serving at 4 a.m and i was just what are people really still serving? Yeah, they're still acting professionally food? while people are doing lines of coke and Swing vomiting. Swinging from chandeliers, peeing on expensive artwork. Yeah, having sex out on the lawn. Shooting and a gun into the wall, a mirror or something. <laughs> <laughs> My biggest problem with this was the whole book is about how Nina is controlled and responsible and she takes care of everybody else and she's selfless and organised and on top of everything. That's Yet right. she allows her house to be absolutely trashed while she's there. Like, it's not like she's not there. Yeah, She's I kept in wondering. the house, in the kitchen, she's in the bedroom. And the whole house is like people throwing plates. Things are smashed. I know. The I kept, chandelier actually comes out of the ceiling. That's right. Yeah, there's a big hole. I kept Yet waiting for just her... Like, or one of the other mm. children or Brandon, somebody who's like a part of this family yeah. to have some kind of feeling about their house getting completely destroyed. Yeah, totally destroyed. Yeah, she was, okay, <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> yeah. That that was the most unbelievable part It wasn't me. even like she was, that's fine. She just didn't seem to acknowledge, there was no acknowledgement of her feeling any kind of way. Oh, except for about the plates. Mm. She was just like, yeah, whatever. I know, not even worried about people's safety. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or a sibling's safety yeah. or so weird. What did I like? I liked I liked the Frank Sinatra vibe. I liked the 50s 
era Malibu in my head. I've not been to Malibu and I obviously wasn't around in the 50s. <laughs> but it kind of encapsulated what I imagined that time is like mm, down yeah. at the beach. Frank Sinatra's, you know, he's had well-publicised affairs. He's had multiple marriages. And I like there were some parallels between Mick Reaver's marriage to June and Frank Sinatra's marriage to Nancy Sinatra, who was his first wife. Right. And then Frank left Nancy for Ava Gardner in the, ooh, I want to say the 60s, and it had some parallels to Mick leaving June for Veronica. Right. Veronica had this Ava Gardner vibe, you know, dark, glamorous, voluptuous, sexy movie star. You know, Nancy and June are kind of like the housewife. Right. Bearer of children. Did you have to vibe. Google this stuff or did you just know? I n- know that. Wow, I'm so <laughs> impressed. So I, I kind of, I liked the links to some of those historical, I don't know, Figures. cultural references, I guess. Right. Didn't you keep forgetting in the 80s timeline that mm. you're supposed to be in the 80s? I felt like I was reading something contemporary and then she would just mention, for example, that that kid from Family Ties is at the party and you're like, yeah. oh yeah, that's right, it's supposed to be the 80s. And yeah. it, I, I thought about My Best Friend's Exorcism, which we read mm. a few months ago, that totally made me nostalgic for the 80s and definitely felt like it was mm. in the 80s yeah. where this did not. There were lots of real-life references from the 80s, but there were also lots that I didn't recognise, so I wasn't sure if they were like super obscure references or just made up, and I think you thought that they were made yeah, up. Yeah, I think they were made up. But I, I think I would have liked that 80s bit more if yeah, all of it was based on some element of reality, reality. right like all the cultural references yeah like they were already on point Mm. whereas some were made up some were not you know I did there was one funny one that I googled I think it's Vanessa the friend how she's talking about what she was going to wear to the party and she says that she basically copies Heather Locklear's outfit that she wore on the front cover of Los Angeles magazine like she copied it exactly I I don't remember that bit real so I googled it Mm. And it was. It was the exact outfit that she was described. And I, I liked that. And yeah, if that's I was, fun. I guess if I was someone who grew up in the States and was maybe a little bit older that was around in the 80s a bit more, I would have liked that, but I would have liked all of it to be that. Yes. Not just some made-up names and then some real. And another positive thing about mm-hmm. this, I understand, is that the surfing references are very on point I understand from people who are in the surfing Mm -hmm. culture that she did a good job of yeah I mean they sounded they sounded real to me (laughs) lots of reviewers are saying that they cried during this book (laughs) what do you think of that yeah yeah (laughs) Jane and I have both cried we in books we do not hold back from crying if we feel like we should I enjoy crying from a book yeah I have to say feel the feelings yeah absolutely this did not make me feel anything other than rage. Whoa, okay. (laughs) (laughs) And I was thinking about why I was so enraged, and I think it's because there are things I liked about Mm -hmm. the writing, especially the beginning. When I read the beginning, I thought, okay, yeah, this is going to be good. I felt like this needed more of an edit, and it didn't get it. And I don't understand why these big popular authors from big publishing houses why there are these problems mm. in the book. Do you think the introduction about Malibu burning 
as it wants to regularly. Mm. Do you think that set the right tone for the book? I felt like that made it seem like it was going to be a more literary Mm. read. And maybe if I had been prepared for it to be a bit more soap opera-y, then maybe I wouldn't have had my expectations Mm. set in one place and then got something else that made me so frustrated. Yeah, I felt like it was that intro, I really liked it. And I, I think I was anticipating slightly more mystery. Right. And a bit more anticipation. You know, one of the staff members said to me they felt like there should have been a murder or something yeah, in the that's second right. part. I was waiting for something properly bad to happen at that party, which didn't happen. I went into this expecting quite a light, soapy read. And that's what it is, really. It says it's a beach read on the front, but then I pointed out it also says it has the emotional depth <laughs> of the ocean. To me, this is the epitome of a beach read. You could seriously just sit by a pool and read this book and you're not going to be emotionally invested (laughs) you're not going to be feeling too much and you can pick it up and put it down without too much of a worry my expectations were at that level so I wasn't as enraged as you seem to be (laughs) so I didn't hate it but I found it slightly juvenile I guess, and I think the dialogue, we've talked about this lots of times as well. It's one of the things that annoys us, when the dialogue does not ring true. Yeah, that's right. And some of the characters did a bit, but some of it was a bit try-hard-ish. It did feel very young. It had a strong sense of place, particularly the 50s stuff and the beachiness. There was some nostalgia to the book. What about the characters? Which which of the characters was your favourite? Oh. (laughs) (laughs) I don't feel like I felt any attachment to any of the characters. That's not to say that I hated them, but Mm. I guess, I mean, Nina's kind of the the main driver throughout the story. I don't know. Yeah. (laughs) I know. a really hard question because I... Because you don't feel anything for any of these people. I think maybe if I had to pick somebody, it would be HUD, I guess, Mm. because aside from the fact that he was sleeping with his brother's ex-girlfriend, which I don't think is that Mm. bad anyway... (laughs) I mean, uh, that's actually, they started (laughs) sleeping together when Jay and Ashley were still together. So that wasn't great. Yeah. Yeah. But they're really in love with each other. Mm. And then Ashley finds out she's pregnant and Hud is like, actually, I'm really happy about that. And they decide they're going to have the baby Mm. together. And that part seemed really nice. I liked that But it's such a fleeting moment in the whole book. It was fleeting. Why couldn't we have more of that? In amongst a million other fleeting moments that seem quite important plot points that's it they treat the nina's husband leaving her yeah with the same amount or maybe even they give more weight to mm. like this random character suddenly showing up three quarters of the way through the book and telling you all their backstory info yeah. dumping their backstory into a couple of paragraphs mm. and then you never see them again mm. i wanted more from the central characters like don't plug up the book with all this stuff that we don't need I am okay with not feeling anything for a book sometimes like it doesn't bother me if I'm not expecting myself to yes this is the point I I think we've got we had very different expectations going into the to reading the book we agreed to disagree on this point because I said I want to feel things yeah all the time. From my fiction. Yeah. And I'm okay with something being a light, easy, peasy read. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Okay. 
<laughs> I mean, yeah, light and easy. If it's good, this was just not good. But again, mm. I am not the target audience for this book, apparently. Who is? Who is the target audience? Uh, I guess 20-somethings. Mm. You always say that if you don't like it. Is that Does that seem <laughs> condescending? Sorry, sorry. I have respect for young people. Young people are smart. I don't know. But lots of people gave this five-star reviews on mm. Goodreads. So I am definitely in the minority. I'm just going to put this out there. I'm wondering if the Casey character is a little bit of a planted plot piece for potentially the next book. That could be. Maybe that's why it felt so disjointed and just stuck in there because I know she is working on her next book which Mm. is set in the 90s because Evelyn Hugo is set in the 60s, Daisy Jones is the 70s, this is the 80s and now she's working on a book set in the 90s. So yeah, yeah, maybe that's what it is. Could be Casey's daughter's story or something. Yeah, and maybe it just wasn't woven in there Mm. as neatly. Seamlessly, that's the word. Yeah, it's not (laughs) seamless. It just (laughs) slapped in. Okay. Uh, how, many, how many stars do you give that one, Jane? Uh, three. Okay. What are you giving it? <laughs> I gave it, I actually gave it two. Okay. Despite my rage, because I did think the mm. beginning was really well written and mm. I liked mostly the first half. I'm quite a generous star giver with things, so I'm not particularly harsh unless I love it and then I'll give it at five, but right. I don't know. Everything's three. <laughs> Three. Three stars. Three, you know, whatever. <laughs> Tell us what else you've read, Jane. Okay, I've read quite a bit this month, but I will only talk about two of those books. And this might be why I was quite okay with a fairly light on read with the actual podcast book. But I read The Truth About Her by Jacqueline Millay. This is about uh, journalist and single mother Susie Hamilton. She gets a phone call one summer morning and finds out the subject of one of her investigative pieces, 25-year-old wellness blogger Tracy Duran, has killed herself overnight. Susie is horrified by this news but copes the only way she knows how. So she's working, mothering, carrying on with her multiple not very well thought out affairs with random men. The consequences of actions catch up with Susie over the course of a sticky Sydney summer. She starts receiving anonymous vindictive letters and is pursued by Tracy's mother, wanting her as a kind of rough justice to tell Tracy's story, but this time the right way. So this is another book with a really strong sense of place in Sydney. Mm. I generally like very complicated, flawed female characters, and Susie Hamilton is that to a T. Susie, she's an unlikable character. She's not someone you really identify with to begin with but I found there's a lot of introspection and character development throughout this whole story it did get a bit slow in some parts and she probably labored on a few elements of the storyline which could have probably been cleaned up a little bit so it could have been slightly shorter but this is a debut novel and I think it's a very strong debut novel I liked the links to oh, Belle, Belle Gibson's Gibson story. Definitely has Belle Gibson vibes. Yeah, so I, I like the parallels between that story. It's very topical, cancel culture, wellness, the huge industry of wellness and Instagram influences and how they can impact people's lives. That's threaded through this as well. So a really good Aussie debut novel. It sounds good. I don't know if it might be too slow for some people, but... 
I quite enjoyed it. Mm. I read This Tender Land by William Kent Kruger. So this is an epic saga of a novel that begins with two orphaned brothers, Odie and Alfred, who are sent to a school for Native American children in Minnesota. So this is obviously set in the States because they have nowhere else to go. And they experience extreme abuse and punishing work at the school. And so they escape. And what ensues is this travel odyssey of twists and turns where they encounter all these different people. It's a real character-driven novel in the vein of Huck Finn, that sort of like old-school American tale set in the 1930s, and the setting reminded me of reading Little House on the Prairie, because it had some of the same town names like St. Paul and Mankato. Your favourite. Your favourite. <laughs> <laughs> Love Little House. So it's not my usual read, because it's historical fiction. Mm. Just scrapes in under 100 years. Well done. <laughs> Check me out. Um, I read it because my partner Brett was reading it and he kept raving about how much he loved it. Mm. Um, and while I'm not raving about it, I'm not, again, the target for this. It's not my normal genre. I found it a bit contrived and far-fetched in places. But again, I'm in the minority. The writing is very good. It's extremely readable. Plus, I listened to the audiobook version of this on Libby, and the narration was top-notch. What was it about the narration that made it top-notch? It was really easy to listen to, and all the inflections were on point. Yeah. And maybe I was thinking more about it because I'm also listening to another audiobook that I'll talk about next month because I haven't finished it yet. But the inflections mm. are all off. It's really stilted and weird and yeah. it's really impinging on my enjoyment of the we book. We talk about it almost every month, don't we? Yeah. Audiobook narration and how yeah. it can make or break your enjoyment of a book. It really can. I've stopped listening to one the other day because I just couldn't anymore accent. Yeah. Mm. There there are different problems, aren't there? There's yeah. inflection and then there's accent. Yeah problems and it just throws you out of mm. the story plus it was 17 hours long <laughs> <laughs> Ain't nobody got eight time for that years to finish it <laughs> <laughs> the other book i read was the survivors by jane harper this Ooh, is one yes. again that i listened to and read my dual <laughs> use of technology and old school books this is set in Evelyn Bay, a small coastal town in Tasmania, a town that has seen lots of tragedy and in particular 12 years ago when two young men were lost at sea during a huge storm, sort of a one in a hundred years type storm, while at the same time a teenage girl went missing, never to be seen again. In the present time, the man who is to blame for the accident at sea returns home to deal with his ailing father. His presence brings out a lot of ill will and then another murder occurs within the town and he's in the thick of the list of suspects. Another very atmospheric novel, which Jane Harper is so good at doing, creating a very strong sense of place and atmosphere and that small town claustrophobia, mm, I yeah, guess. she's the queen of that, isn't really she? Really good. Yeah. In this little coastal town of Tasmania, you could feel the rugged coastline. You could feel the small town. Everybody knows everybody and knows everything about you vibe. Uh, really strong character-driven story as right, well. Right, but you said it's not the detective Aaron Falk. No, it's not the detective. I liked this a lot probably not quite as much as the dry or even maybe the lost man mm -hmm. but it was still one that I, I really couldn't wait to get in the car and listen or pick it up and keep reading I needed to know what was what happens it's so good when that happens yeah I appreciated being taken to Tasmania have you been to Tasmania yeah a couple of times oh. and it's Lovely. I know, it's on my wish list. It's so... Oh, you'd love it, Paula. It's mm. just gorgeous. So for those of uh, 
us who probably weren't that enamoured with Force of Nature. I think this is in a similar vein to probably The Lost Man. Cool. So I thought maybe we could talk about some literary news. So the winners of the Children's Book Council of Australia Award came out, and I'll post a link with all the winners. Davina Bell won for the older readers with her book, The End of the World is Bigger Than Love. And I just asked the children's team for one standout to them, and they mentioned No, Never by Libby Hawthorne and Lisa Hawthorne-Jarman, who are a mother and daughter team. So that's for the book of the year for early childhood. Libby Hawthorne has often had some sort of presence on the CBCA list of notables or long list or the short list or winning. She's been around forever. One of those Australian authors that's one to pick up. MasterChef Australia. Jane and I are not viewers of that show, but there is a judge on there called Jack Zonfrilo and he's published a memoir called Last Shot. And this memoir has gone viral because a writer for the Sydney Morning Herald published an article last month where he basically says a lot of what Zanfrilo says is untrue. The people he talks about have very different recollections or flat out said that didn't happen, particularly one chef who he named as like a father figure uh, to him. And the chef said, I don't really know him that well. Oh, that's so awkward, isn't it? (laughs) That's so embarrassing. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'll post a link to the article in the show notes and we have the book Last Shot in the collection if you'd like to read it. But it's got some sort Wouldn't of James James Fry, <laughs> Million Little Pieces vibes. Were you watching Oprah when that whole thing yeah. went down? I was yeah. so invested. Yeah. <laughs> no, I love drama. I mean, it was just talk about awkward. Just him on her know. show and her just like taking him down. It was hard to watch, but also you couldn't look away. People who know me know that I will mute things that are too awkward on TV. Really? Yes. <laughs> That's so funny. Constantly muting things that are just awful to watch because I just can't. <laughs> so I'll mute. That's one that I would have muted. <laughs> oh, that is really funny. <laughs> now, are you going to tell us what's yes, new and exciting? I'll tell you this first one because I know you'll be very excited. There is a book called Well, Hello. Well, Hello. <laughs> By Lee Sales and Annabelle Crabb. Yay! So they have a hugely popular podcast called Chat 10 Looks 3, which is one of Paula's favourite podcasts. This is a smart, hilarious and heartfelt book about friendships, uh, life and culture and everything in between. In 2014, two of Australia's most high-profile journalists sat at a kitchen table, hit record on a phone and started a rambling conversation that's still going on and on. From books to TV, music, cooking, friendship to films, there's little cultural terrain Annabelle Crabbe and Lee Sales haven't traversed. I've mentioned on the podcast before, I loved Lee Sales' book, Any Ordinary Day. Mm. Loved how vulnerable she was in that book. Just gave me a huge amount of respect for her. And then watching her on 7.30 being so professional and such journalistic integrity. And then hearing her shoot the crap with Annabelle Crabbe and being totally like, you know, oh, I watched this really bad tv show but you know i was feeling bad it's a lovely it's a great podcast it's really it is it's just like listening to friends to friends yeah. two really good friends and yeah and you just get to know things about lee sales like that she's a total music nerd mm. and that you know annabelle of course loves cooking and yeah, yeah all it's that. yeah so i'll be interested to see what the book is actually about and what it's like I was saying that might actually be a book that it actually buy because working in the yes. library I never buy books but 
Yeah, seems like a carrying. keepsake. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and Jane is agreed to try and get one of them when I'll they, tr- they <laughs> they're, I'll try. they're doing a book tour and it, of course it got canceled <laughs> and when they said, "Oh, but you know, we'll postpone it for later." I came in. I was like, "Jane, Jane. <laughs> it would be my <laughs> dream." Best of friend yeah. if you get this. Yeah. <laughs> If you get these sales to come into the library. Now, have you read Thursday Murder Club Mystery? I have not. Neither have I. But we know that it's very popular and we know that it's written by Richard Osman, who is a British comedian. Yes, and that's TV right. presenter. He's on TV. People know him. It's hugely popular. And so now there is the second novel in this, I guess it's going to be a series now. It's called The Man Who Died Twice. It features the same team that was in the first book and they're pursuing, obviously, a brand new mystery. So it's the following Thursday and Elizabeth has just had a visit from a man she thought was dead. <laughs> Is it a comedy, I wonder? Maybe. It Maybe. sounds... I mean, he's a comedian, so... What are the, What's the term? Soft-boiled oh, crime? crime? Is yeah. that the term? Yes. Maybe that's this sort of thing, a bit quirky, a bit English, you know, <laughs> yeah. murdered at the bottom of the stairs and then, I don't know, <laughs> the the town's detective comes around the corner. I don't know. We're making this <laughs> we up. Making this for people who have actually read the book are screaming right We're now. sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously didn't know about that book. Now, another thing that is coming out, and this is very highly anticipated, loads of people are excited about this. Everybody except Paula is looking forward to reading this book. <laughs> I can't it is remember what it is now. <laughs> it is called Beautiful World, Where Are You? by Sally Rooney. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so, of course, Sally Rooney wrote Normal People and Conversation with Friends. Normal People, of course, was turned into series on one of the streaming services. Very popular, had a bit of a cult following. Yes. This one, Alice, a novelist, meets Felix, who works in a warehouse, and asks him if he would like to travel to Rome with her. In Dublin, her best friend Eileen is getting over a breakup and slips back into flirting with Simon, a man she has known since childhood. Alex, Felix, Eileen and Simon are still young, but life is catching up with them. They desire each other, they delude each other, they get together, they break apart, they have sex, they worry about sex, they worry about their friendships and the world they live in. Are they standing in the last lighted room before the darkness, bearing witness to something? Will they find a way to believe in a beautiful world? That little blurb just reminded me of why I hated (laughs) normal people. (laughs) I think this sounds quite topical. For people of that generation in particular, people who are in their 20s, the world doesn't feel like a particularly positive and friendly place at the moment. They're going through all the normal things that you go through in your 20s as well as pandemics, climate disasters, financial disasters, all of that stuff's lumped on top of the normal 20-something dramas. Yeah. I've read that this is semi-autobiographical. Sally Rooney dealing with the fame of having become Sally Rooney. Okay. So, and also that the publicity drive is being compared to that for the Testaments. It's massive. I am seeing it all over my Instagram feed in particular. Early copies are being sent to lots of influencers, influency, 20 something celebrity type people. And so there's lots of posts with oh hey thanks for the book and you know the photo with the book so it'll be interesting to see how it goes I might pick it up and have a look it sounds like a miserable depressing read which you know I love (laughs) (laughs) 
you read it so I don't have to. <laughs> now, shall we announce our book for next month? Yes, Jane please. and I just had such a time trying to decide because there are a few really big books coming out yeah. soon and we're trying we to figure really out. We really did. We, and we even changed our mind right before we started recording That's yesterday. right. Yeah. So what we decided upon is A Slow Fire Burning by Paula Hawkins. Now, if Paula Hawkins sounds familiar to you, it's because she had the huge smash hit The Girl on the Train, which was also made into a movie with Emily Blunt, and Jane and I both loved both of those, didn't we? Did you? I haven't seen the movie, but I've read the book. You didn't see the movie? No. Wow. I don't generally watch the movies of the books. Okay. It was good. It was she good too. with judgment. No, no. No judgment. <laughs> I mean, if you just watch the movies and didn't read any books, then uh, there'd then be judgment. Then judgy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I definitely liked the book. She also wrote Into the Water. Girl on the Train was her debut mm. novel. Huge debut. Huge. Yeah. And then Into the Water she followed up with, and that was not as big. I also read that. I didn't like that. I felt like it was rushed. Mm-hmm. I didn't and read it. there were too many characters and... So now it's been a few more years, so I'm looking forward to seeing what she's got next. So here's the blurb for A Slow Fire Burning. What is wrong with you? Laura has spent most of her life being judged. She's seen as hot-tempered, troubled, a loner. Some even call her dangerous. Miriam knows that just because Laura is witnessed leaving the scene of a horrific murder with blood on her clothes, that doesn't mean she's a killer. Bitter experience has taught her how easy it is to get caught in the wrong place at the wrong time. Carla is reeling from the brutal murder of her nephew. She trusts no one. Good people are capable of terrible deeds. But how far will she go to find peace? Innocent or guilty, everyone is damaged. Some are damaged enough to kill. Look what you started. I'm excited. Now, I have it on good authority that this will be included in our trending titles special collection. So yeah. that's at the Cultural Center. Those are six of the hottest books um, available to you without having to put them on hold or wait. They're just there. You can grab them. So if you're near the Cultural Center, feel free to swing on by there and yeah. have a look for this book. Otherwise, put it on hold and read along with us. See you next month. Bye. She trusts no one. Good people are capable of terrible deeds. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> sorry. Sorry. You're sorry. Just, yeah, I'm gonna wreck it. Sorry. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> it's all good. It's all good, it's just you and me. I know. Like you know how many and I can edit anything out. <laughs> I know, but sometimes you don't. <laughs> And you if keep it's funny, them for bl- like bloopers, for laughs.